Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'm glad that you are here with us this morning, and I'm sure some of you are surprised that Thanksgiving is right around the corner, but I hope this week as you celebrate Thanksgiving, and however you do that, I hope that you'll spend a little bit of time thanking God for all that he has done. So listen to Psalms 107, verse 1, which says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. So this week, I hope that you'll just take a little bit of time to thank God for the many good things that he has done in your life. Now, if you're new with us, today we're in part three of a series called Detour. And what we're doing in this series is we're trying to figure out what we should do when we're flying along great in life and everything's going awesome in our lives. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves on a detour. Maybe you didn't get into that college you were hoping to get into. Maybe you didn't get that job that you were hoping to get. Maybe you didn't get that promotion. Maybe you got laid off from your job. Maybe some health issue came along and detoured you. Whatever happened, uh, we often find ourselves on detours, which lead us to unfamiliar territory, and we're not sure how to get back on track to the life that we desire to live and the life that God desires us to live. So we're walking through this series trying to figure out the things that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do when we're on a detour. Reality is detours affect all of us, no matter how much money you make, no matter how educated you are, they affect all of us. And there are certain things that we should do, certain things that we shouldn't do, because some of the stuff that we do, some of the stuff that we don't do actually makes our detours a whole lot longer than they need to be. Anybody besides me willing to admit that maybe you've been on a detour a lot longer than you should be because of the way you responded, because of your hard heart, your pridefulness, your stubbornness? Yes, some hands going up high waving at me. That's great. I'll wave back at you because I have done that in my own life. And we all can have that tendency. So there's some valuable things that God wants to teach us when we walk on detours in life. And those things that we can learn actually can help us in the rest of our lives. So we've got to open our hearts, open our minds, and learn some of these things that God has for us. Now, as we walk through this series, we're trying to learn from an ancient group of people that lived about 3,500 years ago. And they're called the Israelites, and, and we know the Israelites still live today. But we're learning from them in a portion of their journey, actually when they began to become a nation. After God had chosen to be his specially chosen people, they started to grow, and God wanted to teach them how to represent him well to the world. And if you're not familiar with their story, back 3,500 years ago, they were stuck in slavery for 400 years to the Egyptians. They had moved down to Egypt from their land to escape a famine. And when they moved down there, they started to flourish. They went from about 70 people to about 2 million people. And that caught the attention of the Pharaoh in Egypt. And he was alarmed by their growth. And he thought, they're going to overtake our country. And so he put them into horrible slavery. They cried out to God for help. God answered. God sent Moses. Moses went and helped free them from that slavery and started to lead them towards the promised land. And before God took them to the promised land, he decided to take them on a detour through the desert because he knew there were some things that needed to change in how the Israelites thought and how they felt and how they behaved because they had only known how to live as a slave nation for 400 years. And God said, listen, I want you to know how to operate as a nation that re represents me well to the world. So there were things that needed to change inside of the Israelites before they could get to the promised land. Now, here's some of the things that we've been learning together 
through this series. So the first thing is this, that God is aware of our pain. Like when we're in a rough spot in life, the Israelites were in slavery. God was aware of their slavery. God was aware of their pain. God's aware of our pain. Not only is he aware, but he cares. He cares about our pain as well. And God promises to rescue us. And we've learned in this series that sometimes God's promise to rescue involves a detour because there's things that need to change inside of us before God can lead us to the life that he has for us. Another thing that we've learned that we were learning last week was when we're on a detour, we have to be careful that we don't get bitter on the detour. Instead, we let that experience make us better. We saw that last week when the Israelites got to a spot where they were out of water, they were in desperate need for water. They found an oasis, but the water was bad, so they named the place Mara, which means bitter, and actually it was a description that described their hearts more than it did the water because God was gonna do something supernaturally to provide for them, and they'd forgotten about that, and so they got bitter instead of getting better. We have to be careful of that. We have to allow our detours to make us better instead of bitter. Next thing that we've learned is that God can turn useless things into useful things. So there just might be something in your life that you think, like, this is useless. God could never use this this health thing, this um, job thing, this financial thing, this relationship thing. God could never use this to help me. And yet, that just might be the thing that God wants to use and turn into a useful thing in your situation. Last week, we saw that God pointed out a stick to Moses when the water was bad, and Moses threw that useless stick into the water and made the water good. Again, God just might use a useless thing in a useful way if we'll open our eyes to the stuff that God might be doing. Now, today we're going to be in Exodus 32, but before we get there, I got to tell you what happens between Exodus 13 and where we'll be today. So this is going to be a quick summary of these chapters. So in Exodus 13, God freed the Israelites from slavery to the Egyptians. In Exodus 14, God saved the Israelites from the Egyptian army by parting the Red Sea so they could walk across on dry ground. In Exodus 15, the Israelites sang praises to God for what he had done, but then they couldn't find water and they decided to curse him instead. In Exodus 16, the Israelites complained about not having enough food, and God provided some food from heaven. Anybody know what that food was called? Manna. You've heard this story before. In Exodus 17, the Israelites ran out of water again and decided to complain and curse God, and God met their needs. Then in Exodus 19, 19 and 20, God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai. And he's going to have a conversation with Moses, and he's going to tell Moses, like, this is the way I want the Israelites to live. They got to change the way they think. They got to change the way they treat each other. They got to change the way they interact with the world. And so God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and he gives them all kinds of instructions for how they're supposed to interact with with each other, how they're supposed to interact with him. That information is found in Exodus 21 through 31. And then we get to Exodus 32. So I want us to kind of put ourselves in the spot of the, the Israelites this morning. So we are gathered around. We're kind of waiting for Moses to come back down. Moses has been up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. He's talking to God. They're having a big meeting. And, and we're waiting for Moses to come back and tell us the next thing to do. How many of you love to wait? 
I don't see any hands, you know, like that's not a favorite pastime for many of us. You know, if you're like me, I struggle to wait in front of the microwave for something to warm up. Like, come on, like this is taking way too long. And so we're not great at waiting and the Israelites weren't great at waiting either. So in verse one of Exodus 32, it says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Now, Aaron was Moses' brother and the first priest of the nation of Israel. So they get around Aaron. I'm sure he felt a little intimidated in this moment. And they said, come on, Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Notice what they called Moses, that fellow So they gather around Aaron and say, hey, Aaron, do you remember that fellow? Like, we can't quite remember him. What's his name? Mark? No, it's not Mark. Matthew? No, not Matthew. Moses. Yeah, yeah, Moses. You remember that guy? Like, where where is he? We haven't seen him in forever. It's been so long since we've seen him. And when I read that, I think, how sad is that? It's been 40 days. 40 days, and it's as if they've already forgotten who Moses is. They've forgotten. He was the guy who showed up and said, listen, God has spoken to me. I have come to help free you from the, na- from the nation of, of Egypt, from this slavery that you're in. I'm going to go to the Pharaoh. He went to the Pharaoh on multiple occasions on their behalf. He stood between them and God and begged God to provide for them and protect them and guide them on many occasions. It's as if they'd forgotten all about Moses. And then notice what they said about God. Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us because, you know, God really hasn't done that good of a job for us. Now let's go back and think back through some of the stuff that God's done for them. So God heard their cries. God sent Moses to rescue them. God said, listen, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to use Moses to do that. And I'm going to lead you to your own land. It's promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. So God freed them from 400 years of grueling slavery. When they were stuck at the Red Sea, God parted the Red Sea for them so they could walk across on dry ground. When they ran out of water, when they ran out of food, God provided for them. God provided on a regular basis. And the moment that God's not there, right then for them, they forget about him. And they don't even know who he is anymore. And I think that is so incredibly pathetic as I read that story until I have to be honest about the moments that I do that as well. There are moments in my life where God works, God does something great, and I forget about it. And worse than the Israelites, like I don't forget about God in 40 days. There are times I forget about him in 40 minutes. Like I forget some of the great things that he's done in my life. He'll he'll show up and do something fantastic. And 40 minutes later, I'm asking, God, what about the next thing? God, where have you been? It's like been so long, like 40 minutes. You haven't shown up and shown off and done this new supernatural thing in my life. Anybody willing to admit that maybe you forget about God too quickly? Thanks, there's five of us. 
So when we find ourselves in spots like that, in the, in the, where the Israelites were, where we're forgetful about how God has worked, about the people that maybe God is using in our lives, we do some pretty crazy things in those moments. So listen to what the Israelites did. Verse two says, so Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. Now, does anybody remember where the slave nation got all their gold? From the Egyptians. Okay, so God worked out the supernatural thing that happened that when the Egyptians said, get out of here, God said, ask the Egyptians for anything you want and they'll give it to you. So this slave nation walked out of slavery as the richest nation in that area. So they walked out with the wealth of Egypt and oh yeah, they forgot where that came from. They forgot that God provided that to them. So verse three says, so all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, They exclaimed, oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. Now, pagan revelry is a very nice way to say that they partied in such a way that would embarrass all of us, no matter how much of a partier you think you were, or no matter how much of a partier you think you are. Uh, We would all be incredibly embarrassed by what the Israelites did. And I think this is just crazy. So, So look what they created. They took their gold that God had given them, Aaron shaped it into the form of a cow and they bowed down to worship this cow as if this was the God who led them out of Egypt. Is that not one of the stupidest things that you've ever heard of? Like, I think that is incredibly stupid. Again, until I admit that there are moments that I do stupid things like that and that we do stupid things like that. We all have this tendency to create our own gods that we worship in those moments where we're forgetful about who God is and what he's done in our lives. There are some of us who like to worship the letters that can go behind our name through education. There are some of us who like to worship things that bring momentary pleasure, like maybe drugs or alcohol. Some like to worship power, position, possession. Some people love to worship money, health, exercise, fashion, knowledge, skepticism. We can make anything into a golden cow that we bow down and worship. So what cow might you be tempted to worship? Or what cow might you be worshiping in your life right now? And I'll I'll just be honest with you about some of the things that I have worshipped in my life. I've worshipped everything from money to prestige. At moments, I have worshipped myself. Um, If you don't know me, one of the things that I have never wanted to do in my life 
is be a pastor. And it's not that I never thought I would be a pastor. Like, hmm, that's an interesting thing. I'll probably never do that. It was something that I never wanted to do. And so that was a conversation I had with God. Nope, never going to do that, God. Here's one of the reasons I did not want to become a pastor. One reason was because I didn't think it was very prestigious. I didn't think it was a very prestigious job. I wanted people to be impressed by me and my position, my power, my accomplishments. And I honestly didn't think that being a pastor was something that would impress anyone. Uh, Telling people that you're a pastor creates awkward moments in conversations. If you are curious about that, the next time that you meet somebody new and they don't know what you do, and if they ask, tell them you're a pastor. See what happens. There are some really weird things that happen when the pastor word comes out in a conversation. All of a sudden, people's language cleans up really quickly and like, oops, I'm sorry, I said that last word. Uh, Or they start talking about the good things that they've done, or they just kind of get awkward and kind of back away from you. A uh, number of years ago, and I moved into our, new, our neighborhood that we're in right now, and I met one of our neighbors there, and one day he asked me, hey, what do you do? The dreaded question. <laughs> so I told him everything I used to do. I used to do this, I used to do that, I used to do that, I used to do that. Finally, after too many minutes of that conversation, he said, so what do you do now? And I mumbled, I'm a pastor. And he went, oh, and backed away. Again, it was something that I just didn't think was a very prestigious thing, but here's what I've learned on my journey of following God. God's plan for me is always better than my plan for me. It doesn't matter what I think is prestigious or admirable or not. There's only one being that I should be working to impress, and that's God. And how I obey him and the way that I follow him and the things that I do under his direction. And so I have found that obeying God is way better than me trying to follow my own plan for my life. My wife has recently pointed out that I've been kind of worshiping myself lately. Not like, you know, I, I think I've um, got anything great to offer, but uh, there have been some, th- some things going on in my life right now that I've been trying to manage, I've been trying to control, and, uh, you know, apparently I'm thinking God hasn't done a good enough job because I've been trying to fix it myself, I've been trying to, to make it work out, and it's, it's gotten me a little stressful, there have been moments, like I've been a little bit irritable, and, and uh, just haven't been the, the, the nicest guy to be around. And my wife lovingly pointed that out recently. Like, hey, I think you've been bowing down to worship yourself and your ability to control all this stuff instead of bowing down to worship God who's in control of everything. How many of you have a spouse that's not afraid to speak hard truth to you? That should be one of the things that you're thankful for this Thanksgiving. You may not be thankful right now. I wasn't thankful the other day when she pointed that out. But we need to be thankful for those moments when our spouses point that out. So what cow might you be worshiping? Or might you tempted, be tempted to worship? Like what thing maybe have you created that you think, you know what, this thing is going to lead me to the life that I desire or lead me back to the life that I desire or bring me my, my wildest dreams? What thing might you be tempted to worship besides God? 
reality for all of us is that we are all often tempted to rebel against God when we find ourselves on detours. We can get tired of waiting. We're tired of waiting. God, it's been like 40 days or 40 minutes, and you haven't shown up. And in moments like that, we can rebel, and we can start doing some things that lead to some rough consequences for us. Now, for the Israelites, worshiping a cow did not go well for them. Like, that should not have been surprising. Uh, It shouldn't be surprising to us either, and I think we all understand that. When we look at other people's lives, we can all say that. Like, there's somebody right now, you could probably think of in your life and go, you know what? They're worshiping a cow. They're rebelling against God. It's not going to go well for them They're going to have to do a whole lot of hard work to rebuild the stuff that they've damaged. It's so easy to see in someone else's life. And then there are moments it's really hard to see in our lives. But we know the reality of it. Worshiping anything but God will not go well for us. And so if you're a Christ follower, you don't have to rebel against God in those moments. You don't have to create your own God to follow when you're tired of of waiting on him to work. You can stay faithful to him. You really can. We really can learn how to wait while God is refining us into the people that he wants us to be because that's one of the lessons that God wants us to learn is to learn how to wait, to learn how to develop endurance, to learn how to stay faithful to him in moments when we're tempted to do something else. Now, if you have rebelled against him, or maybe there's a few people here that would be willing to say that you are rebelling, you don't have to keep doing that. Sometimes we think we do, though. There are moments when we rebel against God, we we form our own little cow that we bow down and worship, and then we recognize that is not going to lead to good places. There are moments we think, well, I might as well stay on this path because God will never take me back. God doesn't want me back. That's not true. God wants you back. He wants you to recognize what you have done. He wants you to come running back to him. He wants to pour out grace and forgiveness and mercy to all of us, and he wants to continue to lead us to the promised land, the life that he has for us, that he wants us to live. But we've got to come running back to him so that we can get back on the journey with him. So this morning as we close... Our worship team is going to come and sing a song that we've sung recently called Run to the Father. And it's a song that I came across uh, months ago in a moment when I just needed to admit to God, there's just some things like I, I was worshiping other things than him. I'd forgotten about some of the things that he has done in my life. And I was turning and, and making my own gods to worship and it wasn't going well. And so I kind of stumbled on this song and started to listen to it. Man, it just kind of captured for me the condition of my heart and what I needed to do. And I just needed to run to him and receive his grace and mercy and forgiveness and then allow him to keep guiding me to the life that he has for me. So this morning, if you're in that spot, if you're in that spot where you recognize you've been rebelling, you've been worshiping some other God that you've created, use this song as a moment to run back to your creator who loves you and wants you back so he can keep guiding you. If you need prayer this morning, 
I just encourage you to stop by our care center on your way out as you're walking out. It's on the left-hand side. There'll be some people there that would love to pray with you. So if you need prayer, you need help with that, just stop by on your way out. And if you are not in a spot of rebellion, I would say maybe that's many people here. Great. Pray for someone who is. Most likely, you know someone who is. Or there's a good chance that person might be sitting around you. So spend some time during this song praying for them. If you would, stand with me. Let's pray, and then let's run to our Heavenly Father. Lord, again, uh, just so grateful for these amazing true stories of, of the Old Testament. Lord, as we read about the Israelites in their journey with you, the big detour that you took them on, Lord, I, I read it and I think, man, that is so pathetic, their behavior. That is the silliest thing I've ever seen. And yet, as I keep reading it, I have to admit that I do pathetic things too. I do some really silly things sometimes. Forget about you and all that you have done. Forget about the people that you've brought into my life to help me to become the person you desire me to be. Lord, there's just too many moments where I have created my own God to worship. And I think we're all a lot like that. So this morning, Lord, we want to run back to you. There might be some people here who have been rebelling. There might be some people who maybe they've kind of stopped rebelling, but they felt so much shame. They just have not felt like they could come back to you because they just feel like maybe you don't want them back, but that's not true. You want all of us to come running back to you. That first moment that we slip up, that first moment that we fail, that first moment that we find ourselves on our knees, Lord, that's the perfect spot for us to look up to you and say, God, I can't do this. I need you. Lord, there's some this morning that not only need to come running back to you, there's some that are in that spot of waiting. Waiting is difficult. Waiting can be painful. And yet it's through the waiting that you do your greatest work. It's through the waiting, Lord, that you refine our hearts. You refine our minds. You allow us to focus on what really matters, what you really want us to do. So, Lord, may we learn some of those lessons today as well as we run back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.